Welcome to Stoveside Chat. The chef is ready for your kitchen tour. Please come this way. Hey, Jeff. Here we go. So uh, you've been very busy for a little last little while, right? <laughs> very, very busy. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, just doing some research. I'm like, wow, you guys uh, open so many things and you move restaurants. So let's start with yeah. uh, you know introducing yourself to uh, our, our listeners and readers then. Yeah, um, I'm Justin Sutherland, uh, chef here from St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, you know, I've got well pre pre COVID was operating about nine restaurants and you know unfortunately had to shut them all down uh -huh. back up to. Having five back up and active. Um, also do a lot in the food TV space. We've done Top Chef, Iron Chef. Um, just recently got done shooting a new show that can't talk about yet. Oh, but okay. um, yeah, and some other other fun projects on the horizon. So right on. So definitely a lot of things happening right now. So uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, obviously uh, opening, closing restaurants. Uh, obviously Top Chef. And you transitioned also, also to a new role as a managing director of uh, Madison Restaurant Group, right? Uh, different, nope, it's called Purpose Driven Restaurant Group. Purpose no, driven. Madison Restaurant Group was my old restaurant group. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so even more changes. So Yes, a lot, lot of changes this year. So, you know, with that, how do you sort of uh, handle all these things? And obviously, with uh, also, obviously, COVID and Black Lives Matter, the whole, a lot of things going on as well, right? So how do you cope with all these different challenges? Um, you know, it's... I mean, it's difficult for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, you know, just always trying to stay innovative, positive, being able to to pivot. And, you know, we can't really predict the future. So everything we do right now is very much a risk. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, just trying to trying to stay ahead of it all. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the a lot of the, the restaurants and, and, and ones that are kind of falling off, mm -hmm weren't, you know, aren't, were afraid to make the changes when they needed to be made. Um, you know, a lot of things are never going to go back to the way that they used to. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously we'll get through this pandemic and whatnot, but I think the dining scene has been forever changed. So it's really just trying to, to stay with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, from that, I guess, you know, an extension of that would be how do you, how did you guys pivot? You know, how did you, change and how do you see that uh you know the covid impacted the restaurant industry you know it could be overall it could be just specifically to minneapolis as well well i mean it's obviously it's affected the restaurant industry overall mm -hmm. i mean globally um you know locally here i mean i think we're at probably close to 50 percent of the restaurants have closed that will never reopen mm -hmm. um you know a lot of the changes we made um you know really you know especially when you get into you know finer dining food um a lot of chefs have just been afraid of the takeout. You know, you never know how it's going to be delivered. You never know what the end product, you know, when it gets to that house, what that food's going to be like. And I think a lot of us have held held off on doing that in concepts where it didn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really ad adapting to the takeout model and, and learning how to put as much effort as you would with somebody dining in your restaurant as, as your takeout, because this is how a lot of people are eating now. So, you know, getting creative with packaging and, you know, testing to make sure the food travels well and making menus that are conducive to, you know, to take out, um, doing a lot of, you know, cook at home meals. Um, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of boxed food, you know, um, or, you know, boxed programs with raw product that can either have, you know, recipes sent or, uh, links to online videos where I can cook, cook it alongside with you. Um, 
you know, really embracing the outdoor dining, um, getting creative with outdoor dining spaces and just, you know, rearranging dining rooms so that people feel comfortable in indoor spaces. Cause especially here in the Midwest, I mean, we're it just, you know, dropped down to 50 something today. It's going to continue to plummet and, you know, soon we'll be in the middle of winter and what, what that's going to look like, um, you know, is, is another scary bridge we're going to have to cross. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I live in Toronto, Canada, so, you know, not as cold yep. as Minnesota, but uh, certainly I understand the, the coldness of it uh, once it gets yeah, colder. Yeah. And actually today, is, this weekend, it's really warm here. It's, uh, I guess, 20-something Celsius, which is, I don't know, maybe 70-something Fahrenheit. So oh, it's, it's very nice. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah but not, then, not here. Yeah, but then, you know, this week after, I think they're saying it's back to seasonal, so. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's what it is. So, you know, with that, I think uh, get a little bit into the geographic, you know, um, in terms of uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, what's some of the uh, products or some things that you guys use a lot, um, either in sort of winter or summer times that you guys use uh, there? Uh, food, you know, from a food, food products perspective? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, a Minnesota has a great spring and summer, you know, growing season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have phenomenal local produce that comes around here. So a lot of things that a lot of people do is a lot of preserving and canning um, right. to get ready to have product left over um, for the winter, especially stuff like tomatoes, you know, all of your beans and whatnot. Um, so we do a lot of canning and preserving to get into the winter. But then, you know, when winter comes, I mean, we have a huge corn seasons. So we're really big into that. Uh, a lot of root vegetables, things that you know hold up with the that have later growing seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know we're just very hearty. You know, meat and potatoes kind of <laughs> you know <laughs> kind of culture around here. I mean, you know, lots right. of just soups and stews and casseroles. Just you know that uh-huh. good stick to your stick to your bones food to, to put, get through these winters. Right. That and a lot. That and a lot of whiskey. Oh, okay. So you guys have a uh, sort of artisan produced uh, whiskey there as well? We do. Yeah. We've got a couple of really, um, really cool local distilleries um, that make some amazing whiskey. Uh-huh. Um, and I think just in the Midwest, we're, we're known for doing a little drinking in the winter. <laughs> that helps. Right? That helps with the weather for sure. It does. Right. So I guess, uh, you know, with that, you know, going, you know, a little bit touching back into the, the transition that you guys are doing. So, from, you know, you were running, you said like nine restaurants before to now to mm-hmm. five. Um, is there any particular directions in terms of food that you, you're switching towards or is it something, you know, just a continuation of what you've done before or how is that the transition? No, no uh, definitely changing, um, you know, models and mindsets when it comes to restaurants. Um, I'm doing a lot more with, you know, with quick service and counter service, um, I've, you know, um, kind of moving away from that or still trying to be able to do the same high quality food, just not necessarily in that fine dining setting. I think people are moving a lot more from fine dining. They don't want to sit, you know, in an enclosed space for three hours. You don't have that, you know, personal contact or, you know, there's a lot of that table side touches that come along with it. Um, so really just getting to a point where there's less, you know, human interaction, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, you know, quicker service, and you know, trying to utilize outdoor as much as possible. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess that comes with a lot of extra construction and things like that you have to worry about as well, not just the Absolutely. restaurant side, right? Yep. Right. So I guess you know, in that, I guess we can talk about a little bit about your career progression. I guess itself. So obviously, you started off, um, you know, working in the kitchen, and then you progressed mm-hmm. more into sort of uh, uh, operations and business side of things. So how did you find that transition? Um, is it difficult? Is it hard? 
any particular things that you found? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pretty natural uh, transition for me. Um, you know, actually, you know, being a chef in kitchens weren't wasn't my first career choice, and it wasn't. I you know I went to I went to college at MSU for business management, so I'd already had that degree. Um, you know, I always thought I was gonna go into business. I was actually planning to go to law school right after, so I oh, wow. always thought I was gonna be a lawyer. <laughs> um, it was it was after you know I graduated with my business degree and it was starting pre law, and I remember the summer between college, I sold mortgage, uh, you know, just to make some money. And I just remember sitting in an office, cold calling and doing research. And I was just like, there's no way I, I, I can do any sort of job where I'm stuck you know, <laughs> sitting on phones and, and, and in an office. Um, mm-hmm. So I remember just talking to my dad and being like, I got to do something different. And, you know, he said that I always loved cooking. I always loved being in the kitchen that I should try culinary school. So right. I moved down to Atlanta and went to culinary school down there and kind of fell in love with it. And here we are. Um, so transferring from the, you know, the kitchen to the business sense, it was a pretty natural and easy, uh, progression for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I was always, I mean, I love cooking, um, but I also really enjoy the, the, the business managerial side of it. Right. Right. That makes sense. So it comes pretty natural. It seems like to you then. Yes, absolutely. Right on. Cool. So, you know, in terms of going into management, obviously there's a lot of hiring and, and uh, management and sort of personal decisions you have to make. So, you know, we're just sort of uh, talking to my friend earlier uh, last week. And we were just talking about a lot of the uh, sort of line cooks and, and staff members are uh, sort of black community or, or Latino communities or minorities in general. Mm-hmm. And obviously they work in quite stressful conditions. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do you think from your perspective, uh, the industry as a whole uh, can do to provide them with, you know, better health care and uh, well-being and then maybe salary in terms of like living uh, standards mm-hmm. as well? Um, and then sort of uh, what, what can be done to sort of elevate them and empower them to promotions or, or other ways that we can help? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of been the, the, the one of the biggest issues with this industry, I think, you know, since day one. Um, I think it has definitely been moving in a better direction for sure, um, but nowhere near where we need to be. Um, and I think, you know, I think one thing that this, you know, this pandemic has done, um, you know, with giving some, with giving everybody so much time away from work, <laughs> time to reflect on the things that are important to them. Right. Um, and then, you know, figuring out what's going to be important to them when they do go back to work. Um, you know, us as business owners have to do that same reflection and just realize that, you know, the employees have to be taken care of better. That home life balance is extremely important. I think gone are the days of, you know, 80, 90 hour work weeks and, you know, never getting to see your family and working every holiday. And, you know, where you should be, you know, we should be, we should be working to working to live, not living to work. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, just finding those balances um, are extremely important. It's something that's extremely important for, you know, for me and all of my staff. I mean, even my higher level management like I don't let them work more than 50 hours a week I mean you this is this is the time that you have to work and get it done and it's it's equally as important that you have a life outside of here otherwise you're never going to be happy Mm -hmm. um you know when it comes to when it comes to minorities in this in this field uh, I mean when I started I was always probably one of the only black people in any kitchen I worked with and Mm -hmm. um and that was always something that's very important to me to you know open those doors to you know, to other, to other people of color um, Mm -hmm. and letting them know these opportunities are out there and getting them excited about, you know, different fields of work. Uh, I kind of lost where you were with that. What what was the whole question? Well, just, uh, you know, what, what 
what uh, generally speaking or, or specific cases, you know, we can do to sort of help elevate or empower them, you know, be it promotions, be it other things that we can do to help kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I think broadening, um, I think first is just awareness. I mean, you know, somebody has to be aware that, that it's an issue and that, you know, that, and that some sort of change needs to happen. So, I mean, first and foremost, it's acknowledging that problem. Um, and then from there, I mean, there's so many different ways. I think broadening, um, broadening the pool, uh, of where you're, where you're searching, you know, for, for employees. Um, if you're always fishing in the same pond, you're always going to catch the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really, it's not so much of, you know, trying to meet a quota or be like, Hey, Oh, you know, we gotta go find a black guy or we don't have enough women or, you know, we need an Asian guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, that's not what it's about because it's about finding the right people for that job, but it's, you know, it's where you're looking. Um, and then I think from a broader standpoint, from a community standpoint, it's, you know, letting letting other groups of people know that these jobs are out there and available and, and welcoming to them. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to walk into, you know, any situation and see nobody that looks like you and then, you know, want to spend all of your time there. I mean, you know, our, our work is where we spend at least, you know, probably 50, some of us 50% or more of our life outside of home. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go into a situation where nobody shares the same experiences as you, nobody looks like you, nobody relates to you, why would you want to go do that job? Um, mm-hmm. So it's a loaded question. I don't know that there's a, you know, there's a specific answer of this is what needs to be done, but just kind of changing your personal thought processes of, of how you go about hiring, promoting, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's going to be a, it's going to be a process, but I think just recognition is, is the beginning. Right. It sounds almost like, uh, like, you know, a sports team, you know, the management, right? So, Coaches and GMs, you know, talk about uh, people always hiring in the same group, you know, um, right. sort of recycle, and then there's no one that actually looks outside of whatever is running right now, and that's the sort of to your point, you know, having the the um, the mindset to even just look beyond that is important. Exactly. For sure. Um, back to a little bit more to the food side, I guess. Uh, you know, obviously, I, in my research, uh, you know, your, your grandma's is Japanese background, correct? Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, what is your favorite cuisine? Is it uh, Japanese food? Is it, uh, you know, something, you know, on the soul food side or something that really excites you? I think, I mean, I, I love I love food in general. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I love to eat. I love to try different foods. I love, I mean, just ethnic foods from all different cultures are my favorite just learning how other people communicate through food is is my favorite way to eat mm-hmm. um i love japanese cuisine that's probably one of my favorite i just i love the simplicity the clean you know the cleanness it's, it's usually very healthy it's usually prepared very well um so yeah that's one of my favorites and then yeah i mean those japanese and soul food i mean those are two what i'm most known for as a chef and those are kind of my two favorite foods um i love everything about just you know southern food so that's interesting because i you know, to me, I don't know too much about, um, I guess, Southern food. I've had a couple of uh, uh, encounters, should we say. I have yeah. a few uh, yeah. good news. But, uh, you know, to me, it's it's kind of, it's quite different from the approach from Japanese cuisine. So how did you, you know, mix the two together? I mean, they're almost, you know, they're almost exact opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, that's how I grew up falling in love with food. I have a grandma from Japan and another grandma, um, you know, whose uh, husband is from Mississippi and grew up just with a lot of soul food. So, I mean, those, those are the two women who I hung out with in the kitchen. Right. Uh, you know, one was, one was heavy soul food, one was heavy Japanese food. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, I mean, it's been, I always just try and find a, a way to, to fuse those together sometimes and sometimes keep them uh, completely separately uh, or com- keep them completely separate. But yeah, they're, I mean, they're two, probably the two most exact opposite styles of cooking. Um, mm-hmm. I love Southern food and soul food because it's just, you know, it's just this food of struggle. I mean, it started with, you know, as the food that was going to get thrown away that was given to slaves to try and figure out, you know, how do we, how do we make these collard greens that nobody wanted, you know, turn into something and taste good. And these scraps and different pieces of the pig and all these undesirable foods, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that those people were able to make very, very well. Um, So I don't know. So it's uh, kind of a experimentations uh, that you have, you do different experimentations or is it more like a gut? Absolutely. I mean, I always, yes. I mean, I try and, always I'm always just experimenting and figuring out how to marry um you know how to marry the the two cultures I mean I've got a a southern ramen you know on on one of our menus where we take you know and smoke ham hocks and make this really bourbon and smoky um you know soulful like ramen broth and you know toppling topping it with you know pickled collard greens and different sort of you know southern flavors on this very traditional ramen dish and Mm -hmm. um you know first you think you've first thing when you're doing, you're making those fusions is find the similarities and then, you know, figure out how to mimic each other. I don't know. It's fun. Right. That's uh, yeah. To me, it's, it's the same thing. You just uh, trying different things, e- eating or cooking, right? That's eating. The same thing. Yeah. 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 Keep eating. Just keep eating and you figure it out. <laughs> so I guess, uh, you know, talking about different cultures and different people's idea of food, you know, obviously you were in Top Chef, uh, you know, one of the uh, final contestants there. How did you find, uh, not just the show itself, but, uh, you know, interacting with different people in, in such a sort of close um, proximity, you know, you sort of see them day to day. How does that, uh, how did you feel that experience? Uh, you know, how, how do you think, that, how do you think it was? Uh, Top Chef experience was, it was pretty incredible. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an experience and not a lot of people get to, get to do i mean if you think about it there's what 17 seasons and you know anywhere from 14 to 17 people per so it's a very small group of people that ever get to go through this process Mm -hmm. um it's definitely one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life i think everyone who's been on the show um says it's the greatest thing they'd never do again (laughs) um (laughs) but uh the i think the best part of it was interacting with the other chefs um just learning and watching and i mean seeing all these different cultures come together and seeing food, you know, cooked in a way that you've never even thought about before. So mm-hmm. the greatest thing I got out of it was, you know, was all the, the friendships we've made. I mean, I keep in very close contact with the majority of the people from the season. Um, we're constantly visiting each other's restaurants, doing pop-ups together, doing charity dinners together, uh, collaborating. So um, that was by far my favorite part was, was, was the other people. All right. So it's actually not, not as competitive or not as cutthroat as uh Oh no, 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 don't get, don't get me wrong. It is extremely cutthroat and extremely Uh competitive. It's probably the most competitive thing I've ever done. Um, but at the same time, you know, everybody, you know, if you, if you made it that far and you're on the show, everybody can cook. Everybody's there because for a reason, because they're good Mm -hmm. and you know, nobody, we all want to win because we're the best, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to win on some technicality or asterisk. So, I mean, everybody puts out the best food that they can, Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's, there's really no animosity about it. You know, it is, it is what it is. We know it's a competition, but competitions can be friendly. All right. Sort of a, may the best person win. That's the, that's the uh, way it is, right? Exactly. All right. Right on. Uh, I guess the uh, last 
few questions. I guess I know you're quite busy, so just. Uh, no, it's all good. No, I'm not rushing you. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, so I guess uh, you know about different chefs and different you know things that people do with the food. So uh, there's always been sort of food trends uh, in obviously you know different different times. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. before prior to pandemic, uh, fermentation was was very popular. And then from the table before that, you know, and then before that, maybe like molecular stuff. So uh, do you see any sort of change in, in trends, uh, you know, in particular? Uh, obviously, I think a lot of restaurants, to your point, are moving more towards the comfort food type of thing, yep. like burgers, stews. Yeah. Um, you know, I think at a time, a time right now, um, people are, you know, very desperately looking for things to grab onto that make them feel good. People just want that piece of comfort right now. They want that security. Um, so I, a lot of a lot of us are moving towards that kind of comfort food model. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's dumbed down or that it's not as good. You can make, you know, you can make a fine dining burger, you know, as well as you know, as a as a not. But uh -huh. it's just really creating food that people can have some sort of emotional connection to. That that just makes them feel good right now. And, you know, there's so many things happening in the world that are making people not feel good. I think food is one of those things that everybody can hold on to that everybody has a positive memory about. Um, so, you know, with that, and then also just with, you know, with the COVID, with the distancing, um, with the financial stresses people are on, I think people are just, you know, we're moving to a lot more quick service models, counter service type models. Um, again, like I said, really digging into the takeout type stuff um yeah and you know i i i'm not sure it's going to keep changing every day because this world keeps <laughs> changing every day so you know it's really just being able to anticipate what's coming or see what just happened and be able to make pivots fast all right just move move the times and, and make it yeah gotta gotta keep moving all right um, I also did some, uh, I read uh, you volunteer quite a lot in different organizations, yep. Boys and Girls Club, um, yep. things like that. So, you know, uh, how sort of what instilled that, that uh, value into you? And, uh, you know, obviously, is that something that's important to you? And, uh, you know, talk about that maybe? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, community activism and volunteer work is something that's always been huge for me, um, especially when it comes to um, kids, underserved youth, um, you know, and communities of, of color that are just underserved. Um, you know, I've, I've been fairly blessed in my career and have been afforded some opportunities. And I just want to make sure that, you know, everybody, everybody knows that they at least are welcome and has the ability to, you know, to better their lives and, and, and to do things. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, I speak a lot for kids in schools, especially with inner city youth. And I remember when I first started doing the speaking and I, you know, I walked into a classroom, was going to do a cooking demo. I think they were fifth or sixth graders um, in the inner city. And, you know, I had my chef coat on. I walked in the front of the classroom and, you know, this little kid stands up and he's like, are you a chef? And I was like, yes, yes, I am. And he's like, no, you're not. Chefs are white. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you wow. know, and it, it wasn't, an, you know, the thing was, it was just like, wow, this this kid doesn't even think that, you know, he could be a chef. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't think that all everything in the world is available to him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because of the things he's presented with on a daily basis, it's not his fault that he doesn't think that it's not his fault that he thinks all chefs are white, but when he turns on the TV or opens a magazine or goes into a restaurant, all he probably sees is old white guys. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, so then as a kid, you're like, Oh, that must be a job for them. So that really inspired me just to, you know, to really constantly be out there and, and being an advocate for, 
for people that don't have one. Right. Yeah, that's that's really inspiring in terms of seeing the change that you can affect in that sense, in that sort of sense, right? So you go in and you sort of let them know that hey, anything is possible, right? That's not right. just you know people that are on TV is one thing, but also just you know whatever you set your mind to, you can you can be able to do that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, probably the last question, I guess, uh, you know, I know I was reading uh, some news that you got your knife roll stolen and then they yes. got returned. Yes, that was pretty incredible. Right. And so, you know, what would be your most prized possession, I guess? Uh... Yeah, I mean, in that, I mean, there was, there was a few. Um, my, my grandfather recently recently passed away and he was really big on, on his knives and keeping them sharp. So when he passed, I got his knives handed down from him that I still use on, on a daily basis, his fillet knife. Um, and then my grandmother, um, who's from Japan, her brother was a chef in Japan. Uh, and then when he sold his restaurant, he mailed me his knives. A couple of them were over 120 years old. I mean, just wow. irreplaceable, passed down from generations. So, you know, it was, I had some knives in there that no, no amount of money could have replaced. So it was pretty incredible to get those back. Nice, good, good, uh, good news, right? So yes. you felt the loss, and then you you treasure it even more now. Exactly, exactly. Right, right. And then uh, you know, just in closing, you know, any sort of new? Obviously, you mentioned you have a new TV show that kind of confidential, but yep. any, any other new exciting uh, developments soon that you can share with us? Uh, you know, just I definitely got, got a few more restaurant projects on on the way right now. Nothing too much to talk about yet because they're very mm -hmm. much in development stages, but. Um, no, just excited to be, you know, back to work, have the restaurants back open and, you know, try and try and get through this year. Yeah, everyone uh, can't wait until 2020 is over, right? One way or another. Yes. One way or another. We got to get out of it. <laughs> One way or another. So thanks again, uh, Chef Sutherland, for sending your time for us. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll meet in person sometime. Absolutely. I would love that. Okay, great. All right. Have a great All rest right. of your day. Thank you.